Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be back, and thank you, uh, Pastor Mike and Marie, for having us back. And it's always fun to minister with my good friend Sandra. We have fun, and you know, we were texting each other this morning, and basically, we were saying we are excited to make Jesus a little bit more famous today together because that's what it's all about. And that's her heart, that's my heart, and, uh, and, and that's your church's heart, your pastor's heart. And we're just thrilled to be here, so thank you for that. Um, but before we get started, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you. God loves you. <clears throat> turn to your neighbor and say, but I'm his favorite. Um, but turn to your neighbor and say, but I really heard Nicole's favorite, so <laughs> I'm kidding. If you're arguing with me, you got it right, but I like to just do that. But, but we're all his favorite, but he wants us to know that, and that's a little bit about what I'm going to share with you today. And this first story, I'm just going to read a little uh, intro out of my book, Hold On to Love, The Relentless Rescuing and Restoring Love of Our Good Father. Because these are the truths that have helped me to walk out my healing journey 14 years later. And I'll touch on my testimony in this for those that haven't heard. But what I'm about to read, well, you'll see. I didn't know God in that way. So... Imagine if a young boy asks his father, Daddy, can you teach me how to ride a bike? The father gets a frown on his face, annoyed that his son is bothering him. But then he thinks, well, if I teach him how to ride a bike, maybe he'll stay out of my way. I guess I can teach you, he says in an unemotional tone. Put your hands on the handlebars. I'm going to push you, and you'll need to look straight ahead and keep pedaling. His son, Sam, has fear in his eyes, which annoys his father even more. Sam doesn't seem ready and would like his father to explain more to him, but he's afraid to ask. His father grows increasingly impatient. Suddenly, Sam's father pushes him on the bike after walking alongside him for a few steps. Sam pedals about a foot before falling off the bike. His father approaches him angrily and points his finger at him, saying, I told you to keep pedaling and keep going, but you didn't listen to me. Can't you do anything right? You messed up. You never listened to me. Sam looks at his father, regretting ever asking him for help. He vows to never ask him for anything again and to certainly not go to him when he makes a mistake. Heartbroken and afraid, Sam no longer trusts his father. He just wants to run away and hide. Now, imagine a different scenario where Sam asks his father, Daddy, can you teach me how to ride a bike? This time, his father gets a huge smile on his face and replies, I would love to teach you how to ride a bike. In fact, I've been waiting for this moment. Sam's father takes quite a bit of time explaining to him how to ride. He's obviously very involved in Sam's life and it brings him great joy to spend time teaching his son something new. Even though Sam is nervous, he's motivated to learn because his father is so excited, and he trusts that his father can help him. The father starts walking and then running with his son as they both excitedly wait to see what happens. The father lets go and shouts, You can do it, Sam! 
I know you can do it. Sam continues pedaling on his own for about five feet, but then starts to lose his balance and falls. The father immediately runs to him and asks, are you okay? In a shaky voice, Sam responds, yes, daddy, but I have a scrape on my knee. His father helps Sam to his feet, kisses his scrape and says, I'm so proud of you for trying. I'm going to help you. I know you can do this. You're amazing. His father's words motivate Sam to try again, and on the third try, he successfully rides his bike. Father and son hug and rejoice together, even though Sam failed a couple of times before. Which of these two scenarios represent a good father, number one or number two? And if you said number one, by the time you leave this conference, <laughs> you're going to be saying number two. Now, how would the condemning father in the first scenario cause you to react? Would you want to go to him when you fail, or would you want to run and hide from him? Could it cause you to live in condemnation and fear of failure and even perfectionism? Well, I grew up with a condemning father who used fear as a tactic to get us to obey him. So I subconsciously, when I became born again at age 10, put that picture onto my heavenly father and thought he was out to get me and he was mad at me every time I failed. He was like my grandmother with the wooden spoon when we jumped on the bed just waiting to whack us. But God is a good daddy. He will never condemn you. He is a good, good father. And those of us, we've all acted condemning in some way. There's no perfect parent but our Heavenly Father. He wants us to know that he's a good father. I want my kids to know God as their Heavenly Father. Even though they have a wonderful earthly father, no one compares to our good Heavenly Father. And he wants us to, to go to him and not run from him. Jesus went to the cross and took all punishment, everything, all sin upon himself. He took everything that was against us. He took every failure that we would do, every failure, that everything that had been done to us, and he left it in that grave. And so now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, there's no condemnation for you? Let's, uh, I'm going to start out with the Passion Translation of Romans 8.1. And I love how this verse is worded. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. Are you joined in life union with Jesus? That's good news. So some definitions of condemnation are the expression of very strong disapproval, pronouncing to be wrong, the act of judicially condemning. Some synonyms, and we're going to put this all together in a minute, are criticism, vilification, and accusation. The Greek word for condemnation here is katakrima, which means penalty, punishment following condemnation, the results of judgment 
a sentence of condemnation handed down after due process establishing guilt. And catacrima, one more, comes from the word catacrimo, crino, which means to give judgment against, to judge worthy of punishment. So with everything I just read here, we're going to break down Romans 8.1 in the Passion Translation again, okay? So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation, criticism, vilification, disapproval. God will never criticize you. He won't vilify you. He won't disapprove of you. He will never punish you. He will not be angry or frustrated with you for those who are in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Is that good news? <laughs> Give your neighbor a high five for Jesus. <laughs> Some antonyms of condemnation are approval and blessing. I didn't even like English class growing up, but I don't know. Somehow when I read the word, it kind of makes things come alive. So we're going to read that again. So now the case is closed. There remains only approval and blessing for those in Christ Jesus because of Jesus. Is that good news? The Amplified Version says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. So we're going to do this again. No is an exclamation, and it means, and the synonyms are, absolutely not, most certainly not, of course not, under no circumstances, by no means, not at all, negative, never, not really, not on your life, no way, no way, Jose. <laughs> Therefore, there is now absolutely not, most certainly not, of course not, under no circumstances, by no means, not at all, negative, never, not really, not on your life, no way, no way, Jose, condemnation, disapproval, accusation, punishment, anger, or frustration, guilty sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just say thank you, Jesus, because it's all about him that we just receive that by faith. The Phillips version of Romans 8.1 says, no condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Wiest version says, therefore now there is not even one bit of condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Are we starting to get the point? There's no condemnation. <laughs> because of what Jesus did on the cross. I... I might do this tomorrow. I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm asking the Lord, but he changed things up today because I wasn't supposed to be doing this one, but here I am. <laughs> but I might be doing a teaching on the cross, but I studied the passion of the cross, and there's um, a chapter on it in Hold On to Love, and what Jesus went through willingly is absolutely amazing. He wanted us to know. See, other people were being crucified back then, but no one took on the sins of the entire world and the sicknesses of the entire world. And that's why, partly why he didn't even look human. Andrew Womack believes because he took all sicknesses upon himself, he didn't look human. Uh, and I believe that. But just the crown of thorns, I'll just mention that we have nerve endings in our head and the, the, uh, the uh, thorns were about one to two inches. 
And if you were to take a safety pin, which I'm not telling you to do this, and go on your head, it would hurt. And they were one to two inches, and they believed that that, that crown of thorns actually covered his entire scalp. And so, you know, when the soldiers took the rod and beat him on the head, that blood that poured out and that excruciating pain that he went through came to set us free, to give us forgiveness of sins, to give us peace. He wore the crown of thorns to give us the mind of Christ, to give us peace, peace of mind. Thank you, Jesus. And these are all the things that I didn't really know for many years. Romans 4.8 says, the Passion Translation, what happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them, I will never hold your sins against you. Never, ever. Hebrews 8.12, I will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103, our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. The east is pretty far from the west, right? <laughs> it's eternity, right? That's good news. No more. <laughs> and so, you know, I do this example sometimes, and I don't have this with me, but though our sins, Isaiah 118, be as scarlet, which is the color red, right? They shall be white as snow because of Jesus, right? So imagine... Well, forget it. I'm not going to do it. But let's just put it this way. We were red. Jesus made us white. We're not pink. We're forgiven. When we mix the two and forget that we're forgiven or carry that condemnation, carry that guilt, um, we're walking around like pink Christians. <laughs> anyway, it's better when I have the pieces of paper with it. Now, again, this is not talking about our behavior. This is talking about our identity in Christ. Because we, we, do, we do things wrong. And the thing is, when you know that God doesn't hold your sins against you and you're forgiven and you're loved and you have the gift of righteousness, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about this whole time here, it makes you, you want to apologize to people when you've done wrong. Okay, so this is just when we know that we're able to do this. But it's our position in Christ that is absolutely perfect, which is really good news. We can't mess it up. Isn't that good news? <laughs> because of Jesus. Because I think we all would have messed it up a million times by now. I know I would have. But there is an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy and, you know, some people, unfortunately, believe that if they fail, that God's going to punish them with sicknesses. And that is so not true. He's a good father, and Jesus took all sickness on the cross. It's not a kingdom divided. Healing and wholeness is ours, and it's part of uh, what Pastor Mike was talking about, the covenant, the new covenant blessing. But there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will use that voice of accusation in our life to try to get us to uh, live in a state of condemnation, try to get us to quit things, try to get us to live in a, in, in a state of guilt, and sometimes that even comes through people. And that's why, now we have to remember, there's an enemy, but it's not each other. So we have to remember that that voice of accusation, you know, is 
is just coming to try to get you to quit, to try to, to make you doubt yourself, and the list goes on. But Jesus, he wants us to live not with a guilt and shame consciousness, but with a righteousness consciousness. And I'm going to talk about that in my next talk about the gift of righteousness and how we reign in life. Um, but the more we meditate on, you know, that, that sin consciousness, the more we're going to be depressed. We're going to feel depressed. We're going to feel shame. We're going to feel guilt. Um, and Proverbs 17.22 actually says, A joyful, cheerful heart brings healing to both body and soul, but the one whose heart is crushed struggles with sickness and depression. So Jesus wants to heal us, and he wants to heal our hearts, and he wants us to know this truth that there is no condemnation for us. There's love, love, and more love. <laughs> There's goodness, goodness, and more goodness. There's grace, grace, and more grace. There's mercy, mercy, and more mercy. That's who he is. There's help, help, and more help. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to Romans 8.1 again in the Amplified Version. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. Now, a judge in a position of authority, when a case is closed, he will ham hammer the, the gavel, okay? Now, I, had, I left my gavel at home, okay, so we're going to pretend, but that's okay. You can picture this, this uh, gavel in my hand, okay? <laughs> so I hereby present evidence from the Word of God and what we've been talking about in the finished work of Christ that we are not guilty. Amen. Stomp your foot. We are not guilty because of Jesus. <laughs> Oh, man. But you know what? What does that voice of accusation come, sound like? And I was supposed to get my computer out at this point, but there's no condemnation, right? No, that's all right. I'll, I think I remember them. You know, we all know that voice of accusation. Like, you know, if I yell at my husband, you know, you're a bad wife. I mean, you, you, you don't know how to be a wife. If I yell at my kids, you are the most horrible mother, you know, or you weren't in, you were in the word for five minutes. You call yourself a Christian, you must be backslidden Christian only in the word for five minutes. You know, and the voice goes on. You know, you, you have some choice words for a driver who cuts in front of you. Now, I live in Chicago, so anyway, maybe that's just me. You, you know, and sometimes I'll go, you idiot. I mean, precious child of God, you know. So anyway, got to add some humor in there. But, you know, just, or, or you got mad, or, you know, you, you, that, that voice of accusation will come at you with everything possible to get you to question your worth and your value and to, to, to uh, get you to not remember who you are in Christ. Now, I recently got some purple highlights. They're barely there now, and I just did it for fun. You got to have fun in life. And somebody told me, well, that's, that's how free you are. <laughs> they told me that last weekend in California. Anyway, a lot of people have purple hair there. But anyway, so 
every time I would go in the bathroom there and look in the mirror, I'm like, ooh, I have purple hair. Like, I forgot. So sometimes we forget who we are, but the mirror is like the word of God that shows you the truth about you when you forget. So my reality at that time was purple hair, but I forgot. And we all forget and have cases of mistaken identity. But the Father says, that's okay. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to show you that that voice of accusation does not belong to you. And I'm going to show you that you may have failed, but your identity is not in being a failure. You may have failed in a parenting moment, which if you have kids, how many of you know all of us have done that? But he says, that's not the truth about you. You're not a bad mom. You're a good mom, and I'm showing you how to parent your kids. You know, so the, the voice of the Father will continually bring us back to the truth and remind us of who we are in him. And um, you know, and then, you know, as a speaker, it could be like, oh, well, that person got 10 amens, I got two. I'm a horrible speaker, okay? That voice of condemnation. Now, one time I was speaking somewhere, and a lot of times I'll put, I'll have stickers, and, you know, I'll put them on like I'm bad mom, you know. Picture that, though. When we receive those voices, it's as if we're, we're carrying those labels, and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As, even if it's not the truth about us, we'll start acting that out in a way. That's why we need to know our, our identity. But I was speaking at this conference and had these stickers all over. And when I was done, I was taking them off. And the only sticker that was stuck to the bottom of my boot was bad speaker. So <laughs> it was hilarious, actually. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just a simple, you know, I'm just a simple girl with a simple message that Jesus loves you. But you know what? Based on some of the life experiences we have gone through, that voice might sound differently. It might be different labels that we're wearing. What label are you wearing? Jesus wants us to know the label that we wear is righteous, forgiven, loved, cherished child of God. And so, you know, he wants us to know the truth that sets us free. Because lies keep us in bondage, truth sets us free. And I was thinking yesterday, and I just posted this on Facebook for those who follow me, and I just, I'm a visual person, but I said, don't let your negative thoughts talk you out of who you are in Christ. They were not invited into the conversation. Truth is invited. Lies are like squatters you can kick out. Amen? <laughs> so picture those lies trying to like come into your house and kidnap your peace, kidnap your mind. And you say, no, that's not the truth about me. I'm not going to receive that. And the antidote to this is receiving the gift of righteousness, which I'll be talking about in the next one. But the more time that we spend in, see, this is all about relationship here. 
um, the more time we spend in relationship with the Father, the more we're going to get to know his voice, and the more we're going to be able to, to ignore or say no to the voices of condemnation, addiction, shame, guilt that come our way. And you know, I'm going to say this. I did this little part last time, but I'm going to do it again because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I could remember this image in my life every day. And if you leave with something, you leave with this image, this will be good because, you know, I know that you coming here, you are hearing about a good, good father. But last time I did a teaching on uh, the, the good father, good shepherd, and there's something called a cash sheet. Now, Psalm 23 was written from the perspective of a well-cared-for sheep, and that was David, and he knew he was loved. He knew he was cared for, and he knew God was a good father. Uh, but there's something, Psalm 23, 1, he restores my soul. And there's something called a cash sheep. And if the cash sheep, it's a sheep that has fallen, uh, like, maybe hit a groove in the ground wrong or something happened, but it's, it, this is what it looks like, okay? It's on the ground, it can't get up, and it's crying out for help, going, help, help. Have any of you ever been in this position? I know I have, probably yesterday, maybe even this morning, I can't remember, while I was waiting for my coffee to brew. But let me tell you something. This is what a good father does. A good father and a good shepherd, he goes and he takes his hand out and he rescues that sheep. No questions asked. He's not saying, well, why did you get yourself into that mess? Sorry, I can't help you. You were in the word for five minutes. You know, I can't help you. I rescued you two times yesterday. You're up with that. He's a good father. Will you let him rescue you? Because that's what he wants to do. And he is the only one that will rescue us from a mess that we got ourselves into and not hold it against us. He's a good father. Say to your neighbor, you have a rescuing father. When I was a little girl, I have had experienced, you know, verbal, physical, and sexual abuse, and it greatly impacted me, and it greatly impacted what I was believing in my life, and I started believing lies and living in a state of constant condemnation and rejection and viewing life through the lens of rejection. But I was also rejecting people because I didn't want people to get close to me because my trust in people was shattered. But I started believing lies of the heart that, that told me, you know, there's something wrong with you. You're defective. No one loves you. You're unlovable. You can't get close to anybody. They'll just reject you. And so I, nobody had taught me what to do with negative thoughts and negative emotions. And that became my reality growing up for many years. 
So I didn't know what to do with that emotional pain that I was feeling. So I started going to addictions and I actually started self-injuring as a child, hurting myself because it was easier for me to feel that physical pain than the emotional pain I was feeling. I actually, throughout my childhood, I didn't know what it was until later on. I just felt like I wanted to die most of the time. And I felt unsafe, I felt fearful. Uh, fear became my norm. As I said, my father used fear as a tactic to get me to obey him. And I was very scared of him. Even doing things right, I got in trouble. So fear became my norm. I you know, used to walk with my head down in shame. I couldn't look people in the eye because that's how I felt about myself. And then I started, and again, I was living in a state of condemnation and shame and guilt and unworthiness. And I hated myself, so much so that I wrote in two-inch letters with a razor blade, I hate me on my stomach. And praise the Lord, I know people have this question afterwards, it's not there, it's a long story. Thank you, Jesus, that's not on my stomach anymore. <laughs> But that is a question that I get, and you know, because I cut it all out, I didn't want that on my stomach, and then, you know, it's not on there, thank you, Jesus. And even if it was, it was it's not the truth about me. Uh, but I started, I found alcohol as well as a teenager, and I started binge drinking on alcohol, and just to be able to numb the pain, and actually, you know, feel like I fit in with groups of people because I always felt like, you know, I was the outcast or the weird one, so it helped me to try to fit in. But I, you know, ended up, uh, you know, I was really fast in high school, and my, my track coach became a father figure to me. Because I'm here to tell you, no matter what we go through, God is always sending people in our path. He is always pursuing us with his love and with his truth, and he will do that through people as well. So my track coach spoke life into me, which I needed at that moment. And other people, as I look back, and it's in my book, spoke life into me. So you never know how you will impact someone just by, by even saying you have a beautiful smile. You don't even know what you are speaking into a person that you could be saving their life. But I ended up meeting my husband in, in college, and he was from France, and I was studying French, and I loved him very much. And uh, we ended up, I always wanted to have a family. That was my desire, and I always wanted any kids I would have to have a better life than I had. And so we got married, and let me tell you something, he is a gift from God to me. He has showed me the love of Christ um, in, I think it's almost 28 years. Oh, Jesus help me. What is it? 28? <laughs> 27? It's a long time. And I'll share a story, another story about that later on. But, but you know, I couldn't hold it together. And so all of those lies that I was believing, I had not dealt with. I was still believing a wrong identity for myself. So I started, I, we, we ended up having three beautiful children, and I started 
drinking alcohol heavily as I had flashbacks of sexual abuse and started cutting myself. And I have more details in there, and I'm glad that I can just say, hey, I have my book there so people can read it on their own and Holy Spirit can, can touch them. Because it's hard to talk about these things, but you know what? We get them out into the light. People should not be living in shame and condemnation, afraid to share their struggles and trials and what they're going through because God cares and he wants them to know that he doesn't condemn them and that healing is theirs and he's the healer of broken hearts and anything that we would go through. Uh, but I, you know, eventually was diagnosed, you know, I went to um, a psychiatrist, I went to several psychiatrists and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, PTSD, self-injury, uh, panic attacks, um, and just, I, I think I forgot a few, but that's okay. <laughs> and I, that became my identity. So in a way, I was like, I'm glad to know this is what is wrong with me. So I would meditate on everything that was wrong with me, okay? And so um, this went through years of just, you know, different psych wards and hospitalizations and medication changes and, and suicide attempts and suicidal thinking and just many different things. And I'm so happy that my children had a stable father at that time very grateful for that and um, but I know that this affected them but I want to tell you right now God heals families God heals families and he's continuing to heal my family and he's got it so I want to encourage you no one is beyond hope no situation is beyond his help and his healing so I want to encourage you with that but we, um, and I'm looking at the time here, because I would have to work through condemnation if I went over the time. <laughs> I like to laugh. God loves to have fun, amen? That's what I love about Sandra, too. We love to laugh and have fun. <laughs> That's the heart of our daddy, amen? Oh, he has an amazing sense of humor, too. Um, but... You know, I was diagnosed with all these things, and they became, that's what my identity was. So I was continuing in those core beliefs. And, but eventually, you know, Psalm 107, 20, he sent his word and healed them. He can use people. God used some women in my life to share truth with me that, you know, the enemy was trying to steal, kill, and destroy my life, but also that, um, nothing is impossible with God. And the woman who shared that with me was a psychiatric nurse, and I knew that I could trust her because I told her all my labels, and I said, you know they're incurable. And she said, with God, all things are possible. And guess what? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. She sparked hope in me. And my book is called Hold On to Hope. And I actually didn't even realize that that's what she did at first was she sparked hope until I was with Andrew Womack a few weeks ago on his Facebook Live, and he said that, and I'm like, yeah, that's what happened. Hope deferred makes a heart, she, that hope in that. But, you know, in that time frame, I just knew that these were not my identity. And it was the Holy Spirit that really gave me that revelation. Glory to Jesus. I'm just grateful. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amazing. 
Uh, he always pursuing us with truth, and I realized that those were not my identity. And it's been 14, it's my 14th year of never speaking those labels over my life again. 14 years of understanding I'm a child of God, and that's the only label that I want in my life. And guess what? I'm still growing in that. I haven't arrived, but I left. And every day, I'm focusing on these truths that we're talking about and, and renewing my mind to who I am in Christ. And, he, and, and he's a healer, amen? No one is beyond hope. Thank you, Jesus. And what I learned since that time is that God is a good father, and I had thought God was like the condemning father that I had talked about in the beginning of this. I didn't know his true nature. He is a good, good father, and I know that now, and he started speaking to me. So instead of hearing a lot of the torment that I was experiencing, I started journaling and hearing his voice of love love on me and speak to me. And if we just ask him, Father, how do you see me and get a piece of paper out in that or just listen, he is longing to tell us how much he loves us. And getting to know God as my good heavenly father is the biggest healing in my life that I'm grateful for. And not only does God not condemn us, but he's never had a condemning thought about us even when we fail. Psalm 139, 17 to 18 says, every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. It's a joy for our Father to think good thoughts about us. It's not a work. Sometimes it's a work for us with people, amen? You know, but he helps us with that. It's not, it's a joy for him. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, and you think of us all the time. Do you know, right now, our Heavenly Father is thinking about us. Right now. I don't know how he does it with everybody here, but he does it. Thinking of us all the time with your countless expressions of love far exceeding our expectations. Isn't that awesome? And we need to remember that because while we're still in this body, we will fail. And we need to understand with our hearts that there is no condemnation. There is no way, not at all, no way negative, not on your life, no way, Jose, condemnation for us. And if you hear that, that voice coming at you, use a little humor and say, oh, no, there is no way not on your life, not at all. Here, let's just go back to that real quick as we end here. I have, I have like five minutes, right? I, th I have 38 minutes here. Is that good? I just want to make sure. All right. Let's just say this again. Let's just say this again. Therefore, why don't we just all repeat it if you, if you feel led. Therefore, there is now absolutely not most certainly not. Of course not. Under no circumstances. By no means. Not at all. Negative. Never. 
Not really. Not on your life. No way. No way, Jose. Condemnation. Disapproval. Accusation. Punishment. Anger or frustration. Guilty sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Jesus has made us not guilty. We don't have to earn his love. It's a gift. By saying yes to Jesus, we have absolutely everything we need because we have his life in us. And that is good news, that we're never alone. He's always with us, always speaking truth, and we are good enough. He has made us worthy. He has made us holy. He has made us blameless. He has made us spotless. And that is good news. And I just want to end with these two verses. Hebrews 8, 12, the message says, They'll all get to know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small and the great. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins wiped forever clean. Isn't that good news that in Christ, no matter anything that we have done in our past, our past is wiped clean forever. That is good news. And Romans 8.14, the Passion Translation says, You did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. Why don't we just say this? I'm fully accepted. And when you are found not guilty in a court, it means that you are free from the charge of an offense as far as the criminal law is concerned. And under the rules of double jeopardy, you can never be charged with that crime again. Jesus closed the case for us with his broken body and blood. The case is closed. We are not guilty. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are righteous. We are healed. We are treasured. We are cherished forever, eternally, because of the covenant that Jesus made with the Father, the Father made with Jesus, that is unbreakable. We cannot be separated from it because it's based on Jesus and it's not based on us. And that is good news. There is no condemnation, criticism, accusation, anger, or punishment for us in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from his love. The case is closed. Why don't you just bang your foot? The case is closed. So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you don't hold our sins against us. Thank you there's no condemnation. Thank you that we can run to your throne of grace in our time of need. Thank you for reminding us who we are in you. And thank you, Father, that, you know, sometimes we have consequences based on things that we've done in the, on the earth, and you even help us with that and remind us of who we are. 
and you are the answer for everything that we go through. And the more that we know these truths, the more freedom we just experience in our lives effortlessly as we focus on you, Jesus, and what you've done for us. So we just thank you for the good news that we, we are hearing, and we thank you that you are a good Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.